Good morning. That was wonderful. That was a new experience for me, sitting right next to the choir director and hearing him sing as he leads the choir. Um, as Dennis mentioned, I, uh, I live in Colorado. I bring you greetings from the, the beautiful mountain state of Colorado. This is a nice time of year to get out of Colorado. We have the seasons, and the spring season, we have all seasons in one. And uh, I don't know if those of you have ever lived in Colorado. The springtime, we, just, we, have, we have winter, summer, and fall in, in, in the course of a day this time of year. So it's good to be in this, this warm climate. It's good to be out here. It's good to hear this music. I go, my church is in Colorado. We have a real different Christian culture there. Music is, is kind of like a rock performance. And I'm a baby boomer, so I grew up in the generation of rock music. And I love that. But as Dennis mentioned, too, I, I, I used to work with Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, I remember on 9-11, I was with a whole bunch of kids that were just fresh out of college who had given a year of their lives to uh, to go to, to countries in North Africa, Middle East, um, and uh, Western Europe. And uh, we got news of what had happened back in the U.S. And it was interesting. A friend of mine had come over to, to lead praise music. And... Uh, when, when that, that experience hit, I mean, it was just very sobering for all these kids who were, were in Germany at the time and all the stuff that happened in the U.S. And it was very interesting to me that the, the music they wanted was not the choruses. They wanted to sing the hymns because they needed the comfort of God. And just the lyrics are just so much, so much fuller. So it's really fun to be here and hear this wonderful music. I'm going to be speaking out of the book of Second Timothy. And uh, let me just kind of read the passage I'll be sharing with you. I'm going to start in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 with verse 3. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Paul is writing to, to Timothy. Just to give you a little bit of a, a historical context on this. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his disciple, um, from a Roman prison. Paul is in prison in Rome, and it's probably ta- this, this letter was written somewhere around 64 to 66 A.D. And Paul is, is near the end of his life. Um, it's happening during a very trying time for Christianity in the Roman Empire. Uh, the, the emperor of Rome at the time is Nero. Um, the city of Rome was burned to the ground in, in the, uh, the summer of, of A.D. 64. And uh, those of you who know history, I'm not a big history buff, but I read this. Um, Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of the city of Rome. And all of a sudden, Roman officials were arresting Christians, especially leaders, and they, they, they grabbed hold of Apostle Paul and they put him in prison. And this was during the end of his life. Paul would, would, would be executed and martyred for his faith shortly after the writing of this letter. And so he's writing... To Timothy, who is going to have to really take up the mantle of leadership in Paul's absence. Paul kind of, kind of knows what's, what's ahead, and, and we know looking back what happened. But he uses this term, he says to, to Timothy, kindle afresh the gift of God that is in you. And those of you who know, have been around kindling, you know, you think that's got something to do with fire. And, uh, and I think Paul uses metaphorical language to, to tell, tell Timothy 
who has somehow kind of shrunken back in his faith. And it very well may be because of this this persecution that was going on. And uh, leaders were being targeted. And it could be that Timothy was just sort of keeping his head low in the fray. But, but, but it's interesting. Paul is writing this letter. It's a very sober charge to Timothy to, to kind of take up the faith that, 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 that came from your family, that came from me, because we really need you to stand firm in this day and age. Um, I like that imagery of fire. I, I grew up as a kid loving fire. I played with matches. I loved, I'd burn anything I could get my hands on. I almost burned a house then when I was like five years old. And, uh, you know, I did some really stupid things with fire. But as an adult, I still like to play with fire, but I do it in a safe way. One of my favorite things to do is light a fire in the fireplace. And uh, there's an art to, to building a good fire. You know, to start a good fire, you need at least three logs. I can tell you that. I've learned from experience. But you need to manage a good fire, too. Once it's going, the embers are those little ash kind of looking things that encrust the log. And as those develop on the log, they kind of choke the fire of the oxygen that, that, that fuels it. And so a good fireplace manager uses that little stick and, and, and jams it in there to knock the embers off and it stokes the flames. Well, I think Paul is looking at Timothy as, as kind of a log that sort of lost his fire. Look at a Timothy as someone who has just sort of lost his fire for God. So, so the letter is written to Timothy to uh, shake him out of the doldrums. And, uh, and I would just, just ask the question to you. Has that ever happened to you? And uh, I want to speak specifically to the 50-plus crowd because this is the Senior Adult Sunday. And those of you who are under 50, if you stay alive long enough, you'll be over 50. So, you know, you pay attention too. But Paul says, says to Timothy, you know, you need to rekindle afresh the gift of God that is in you. And I think there's a message in there for us, and I think particularly the baby boomer. I think uh, we're living in a time where there's this incredible age wave that's running through our culture. Some kind of call it, refer to it as a, as a pig and a python, which is kind of an interesting illustration. But I don't know if, you know, pythons will eat something as large as a pig whole. And I've never seen this, but evidently that thing just kind of goes through their body like this big lump. And so the, the baby boom age wave that's upon us is moving through our culture in a way that is making... America's growing old, folks. I mean, baby boomers, uh, those of us who are so named, um, we were named because after World War II, the soldiers came home and married and just started having kids. They started having lots of kids. The average, average American family was a, a mother and a father and four kids, you know, in the post-World War II years. Four million a year were born in 1946. Four, four million more were born every year for the next 18 years. Baby boomers now are, um, the oldest baby boomer is 62. And so now the baby boomers are turning old. Um, you know, four million a year will turn 60 for the next 16 years. 70, we represent 78 million adults. And here's the thing about the boomer, and, and a lot of people are looking at the boomer kind of nervously because we have the potential to really mess things up for those who follow behind us. You know, gobbling up all the money in the, the Social Security coppers, that's, that's a big subject of con, con, conversation. And, uh, but I, but I, I think there exists the power for boomers to actually, Christian boomers, they actually radically change the culture we live in. And I say that because the sheer size of this demographic, you know, 78 million of us. Um, I mean, that's a huge army. And, uh, you know, the new 60 doesn't grow, is not going to grow old like, the, uh, like, like our parents' generation, the builder generation. Uh, 
And uh, what's more, there's not only a lot of us, but recent studies have determined that more than 50% of Americans currently between the ages of 50 and 70, more than half of them want to do something in the rest of their life that gives back to their communities and to their world. Uh, Boomers actually want to volunteer. And, And I would just say the church that really gets that and learns how to harness the capacity of the baby boomer in this day and age, we could see an army of laborers for the kingdom like we've never seen before. But I think, like, like, like Timothy, you know, many of us were kind of sitting there and kind of navigating the transition between the, from the 50s to the 60s and, and thinking, you know, for some reason, the fire of God in my life has, has grown cold. So I think this message that Paul writes to Timothy is very appropriate for us. And I want to identify, you know, the theme of this, this message is stoking the fire of life or stoking the fire in the second half of life. And I'm just going to run real quickly through this outline. But the first point is, is we need to shake off a couple things. And one, we need to shake off the fear and denial of age. You know, I mean, Timothy was fearing something totally different. I mean, his level of what he was fearing. I mean, people were being martyred for their, people like him were being put to death because of their faith. We're not, we, we don't experience that intensity of fear. But nonetheless, any kind of fear tends to paralyze us. And I think, you know, we deal with the fear and denial about aging. Ageism is alive in our culture. I mean, we live in such a youth-focused culture. You all know that. Um, And it's alive and well in our culture, but it's also alive and well in the church. And I just think some of the ways that that senior adults are characterized, and I think we're, we're even seeing the need here down the road to actually get that word senior, you know, out of our language. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very respectful word, but I think what, what, what ageism tends to do, it tends to twist that word in a very demeaning way. Um, but ageism is there. Um, I, I went through a, an ageism experience recently. I was in my mid-50s working with Campus Crusade for Christ. I'm 59 now, so when I, when I was in probably 50, this was like a little over three years ago, when Ronald Reagan died. Ronald Reagan, I was a student at the University of California. His signature is on my diploma. He was the governor of California before he became known to most of you as, the, as our president of the United States. And uh, when he died, I, I was just glued to the TV the whole day. I watched the Washington ceremony and then, you know, in the morning and then they got on the airplane. I took a break and they flew to California. There's a ceremony in California. But one thing that struck me about Ronald Reagan was the, the impact that he had in his life. After he was 56, he became governor of California in 1956. I was 56 at the time of watching this, and I'm not Ronald Reagan by a long stretch. But I thought, you know, the best years of that that guy's life were lived post-56 years old. And so I think that, you know, I had been thinking, I'm the oldest guy showing up at these Campus Crusade gatherings, and and, uh, I had one more kid in college, and she was my cultural read. She was the only person that could tell me, Dad... You're becoming like a cartoon character. You're just getting too old to do this. And I thought, once my daughter is out of school, you know, I, I need to get out of this youth work. And, uh, and so that, you know, watching that Reagan thing was really, really encouraging to me because I was actually thinking, are my best years behind me? And I was inspired by his life to think, gosh, maybe some of the best years are ahead of me. And I think, uh, when you study, and I've done a lot of research on aging the last three years since I've had this job with Leadership Network, and, and, uh, you know, the facts fly in the face of, age, of ageism in the message. And I think you overcome the fear of aging with just good information. And I think, think it's really true. You know, there's the denial side. I think denial about age. There's an upside to it and a downside to it. My wife and I were, were grabbed in the foyer of our church, you know, a couple of years ago 
by a, by a woman who said, hey, you guys look like you're over 40. Do you want to be a part of this group we're starting of people over 40? And I thought, lady, I'm way beyond 40. I'm 18 years beyond 40 at that time. But I, I'm not going to be pegged by my age. And there's that denial that, that is so characteristic of baby boomers. We just don't want to think we're old. And, and there's a true side to that. Is, is many of us are still as active as we've ever been. And I think a lot of data and research say that, that the new 50 in this culture is, is the 60-year-old. And so, you know, us boomers, we're probably never going to do the same kind of things that the builder generation is doing in the church or outside the church. And, and part of that is, you know, you know we're healthier. We're going to live longer lives. We're the most educated generation in all history, and we, we, we still tend to keep learning for the most part. And, and that's where I think I'm speaking again to that, that, that capacity side. So we need to, to shake off the embers of fear and denial about aging. And I think on the negative side of denial, I want to, I want to speak a little bit about this, is, is uh, you know, with this youth culture, I think, you know, boomers possess 70% of America's wealth, and they spend it. And they're spending a whole lot of money on cosmetics. And there's that, that, that move in our culture. I think that the, denial, the downside of denial is that um, we put a, too much effort in trying to extend youthfulness in our lives. And, uh, and I think we're just uncomfortable with being our age. The fact of the matter is God cares about young people as much as he cares about those at the foot of the grave. Is that God's love goes, is directed powerfully and fully to everybody from cradle to the grave, and uh, and I I just think the futility of trying to keep your age. You know, you know, you, you guys watch television like I do, and and has anybody looked at uh, Priscilla Presley lately? I mean, I mean, I, I I get sad when I see that because sometimes cosmetic surgery goes bad. But that's the downside. <laughs> that's the downside of the of the whole denial thing. So I think the uh, the next thing we need we need to do the, the other amber. I want to take points two and three together. In an adequate, we need to shake off an inadequate view of God and ourselves, and we need to stoke the fire with the power and presence of God's Spirit. And uh, I think Paul says this to Timothy in verse 12. Here. He says to Timothy, um, verse 11, he says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason I suffer these things. You know, remember, Paul is in a Roman prison about ready to be martyred. It says, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that day. So I think Paul is trying to shake Timothy out of this, this paralysis. He said, so remember what God is like. And uh, I, I like to think, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and we don't have time for you to, uh, to look at it. I may read a couple of verses out of it. But the whole, the whole account between David and Goliath. You know, there's a professor, a really popular professor at Dallas Theological Seminary by the name of Howard Hendricks. And Howard Hendricks says this, that, that there's two kinds of, of Christians in the world. There's, there's those with, who are big godders and those who are little godders. And he says, the ones that really live are the ones whose God is big. And, uh, and I think Paul is, is telling Timothy, your God has become too small. If you think about David, and I'm just really briefly going to set the stage because it's a very familiar passage in the Old Testament, so I think most of you know it. But Goliath, this giant on the Philistine army, has been taunting for 40 days the armies of Israel. Every day for 40 days, he straight he has come out and he's yelled across the valley, hurling ta- taunts at the army of Israel. And 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 the 
Israelite army is just over there in paralysis. Okay, David, um, the little shepherd boy, is sent out to, to bring provisions to his brothers. And uh, as, as he's there in the situation, he's, he's kind of finding out what's going on. Some people say to him, have you heard what the king is going to do for the man that kills this giant? He's going to give him his wife. He's going to take care of him for the rest of his life. And, and David says, what's going to happen? Or what's going to, God going to do for the man who takes the reproach away from this uncircumcised Philistine who is taunting the armies of God? And, uh, you know, you know <laughs> I like to think of a set of binoculars. You know, you can look at a binoculars two ways. And, you know, you look at them the wrong way. And, and things look way farther away than they, they in fact are. You look at them the right way, then they come close. And I think for the, for the Israeli army... They've made giant Goliath really big. I think they were looking at their problems through the right side of the binoculars. I think when David looked at the binoculars, he said, Who is this puny little giant that he would dare taunt the armies of this big God? And, uh, and I think David is just one illustration of, of what, what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. Timothy, your God is, is too small. You know, I'm not ashamed, for I know who I believe, and I'm persuaded that he is able. And a right view of God is necessary, I think, to finish well in the second half of life. The next thing I want to look at is, is uh, we need to stoke the fire with, with a renewed love for God and for others. And uh, that word love is, uh, is the strongest form of the word love. I think many of you are familiar with the fact that there are three Greek words that the one word love in English is translated from. One is eros, one is phileo, and the other one is agape. Eros is, 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 is kind of the, uh, uh, the love of, of the senses or, or uh, the, the love of the emotions, the love of pleasure. Uh, phileo is the love of the same kind. It's brotherly love. The, the city of Philadelphia is named, has its root, the city of brotherly love. It's based on that Greek word phileo. And uh, it's love of the same kind. It's loving you because you love me. And, and it's kind of keeping that measure, measure even. It's love of family, love of friends. Uh, but Paul uses this word to Timothy, agape. And it's, and it's the kind of love that God extends to everybody the same. Everybody is an equal benefactor of God's love. He loves young people and old people the same. He loves people of all color the same. He loves people of all socioeconomic status the same. And... Uh, and and that's the love that Paul says to wake up Timothy. He says, he says God has not given us a, a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's loving those who are, who, are, who, are, who are most unlike us. And I would just say for, for us as boomers, you know, maybe as we're transitioning through the, you know, being through the 50s and going into the 60s, maybe, maybe we need to kind of do what my, my, the founder and president of Leadership Network says, Bob Buford says, do some low-cost probes. He wrote this great book, Halftime, which is much about his life. He was a successful businessman. He had accumulated all kinds of wealth, but it, but it just left him empty. And he decided he wanted to spend the rest of his life, the second half of his life, um, investing in significant things. And I would just say, you know, learn how to love the way God loves. And I think I would dare to say that agape love is the kind of love that sort of tilts to the needy and the marginalized in our society. And uh, I would just say for, for many of you, 
You know, do some low-cost probes like Bob Buford says. You know, volunteer for some of the missional activities that the church is doing overseas or locally here. And you may find that the love of God kind of comes, comes alive in your heart through that. It's been my experience that people who go and serve in those across-the-track experiences, they come back changed. I work in a ministry where we serve um, women. We help, uh, you know, battered women. We, we work with this, uh, the Boulder County Battered Women's Shelter, and we move these these women. And it's it's amazing, you know, doing this. The guys, you know, through that experience, are so profoundly affected as they get get eyeball to eyeball with these these women and their children. And there's something real about the presence of Christ that comes out of those experiences. So I would say to you, if if you're in that kind of navigating through the 50s to 60s, expose yourself to opportunities like that. Um, you know, I was gonna just close by sharing a story of a woman about a year ago i met this couple at a conference i was at was a bunch of older adult leaders with the presbyterian church and their name names were uh um oh gosh i'm drawing a blank but uh let's just say harvey and roberta pippet and uh (laughs) his name wasn't harvey but it'll come to me in a minute um but i mean these people elderly couple and i said why are you here he said well they've asked us to come here to tell a story of what we did in africa and i and it's a great story. I don't have time to go through all the details. But, I mean, he had retired from a successful career in mechanical engineering. And uh, their dream was to travel the world. They had the money to do it, the time to do it. The first trip they took was South Africa. They met a woman in South Africa who told them about this, this school that was in a total state of disrepair in Zimbabwe, Africa, in a very rural, rural village. And they said, you know, you would have the skills to go in there and fix this school. They weren't in the least bit interested. They were cordial about it. They went home. When they got home, they couldn't get the school off their minds. Nine months later, they, they called this woman and said, hey, talk to us more about this school. So they went to the school. They saw the school, and their hearts were gripped by this, rabid, this AIDS-ravaged village of people that was just had tons of orphans and dying parents. That's what characterized this village. They came back, got the supplies, got help, money to come back and build the school. Then they realized, gosh, these orphan kids, they need an orphanage. They built an orphanage. That led to them building a well. And, and uh, 14 years later, they're still doing that. And I asked them, I said, you know, this, is, this is, must have been a very difficult experience. So we see people die every time we go over there. He says, but we wouldn't trade the last 14 years of our life for anything. Because you know why? They kind of put their self under the love of God and exposed themselves to some, some, some raw need. And the people they served, they saw Jesus. Well, I'm going to close with that and just say that there, there, there's all kinds of opportunities you have. My last point is that you need a plan and a discipline to finish well in the rest of your life. And, uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll, there, there's some great books. I, I mentioned uh, Bob Buford's book, Halftime. It's how to turn a life of success into a life of significance. Um, there's a book by a, a popular gerontologist by the name of Ken Dykewald who writes about how to navigate this transition that the boomers are making kind of from the 50s to the 60s. But uh, let me pray, and, uh, and then uh, we'll go from there. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for this, this, uh, this passage that, that we've seen Paul write to Timothy about shaking himself up, shaking off these embers that have, that have caused the fire in his life to die. And uh, I know for us, we could use a fresh touch from your hand. And so I pray that you direct us into the next steps for our life as to how we can convert whatever success we have, whatever talents we have, into significance for your sake. Amen.
Okay, if, uh, if you're sitting there and there's something I've said that has touched your heart or you're kind of sensing the need to, for God to kind of breathe a fresh life into your spirit, if you're here and you want to express a, the, the, the desire to, to become a member of this church, or if you just want to come forward and have somebody pray with you, this is your time to do that. There will be some leaders down here in the front, and I'll be here, and this is your time to come forward. So, thank you.